This is the word of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were natures, and, and by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with us, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming age he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Just want to give a bit of clarity as far as the, the youth game night. It's for 13 and up. It's uh, for the middle and high school, 13, <laughs> middle and high school age. Uh, so so those those are invited. I think the young, I believe his name is Weston, um, Mia's younger brother. He, he walked over and he said, so what, what age actually is invited? Because he said, oh, youth. So what, what age invited? So he was, he walked away distressed because it was, Unfortunately, not his age group, but but yeah, it's a bit of clarity there. But but I, I bless his heart. Soon, I told him soon he'll be with us, uh, with with you. So so we're excited about that. Again, I want to thank Pastor Todd for the opportunity to come and present God's word. It truly is a great blessing to come up and stand before God's people. I take that not for granted. Um, if you can, please have a word of a prayer. Please bow your heads. We're gonna, we can jump into the word word of God this morning. Father God, we come again just saying thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for your clarity. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your guidance, Lord. Lord, I ask that you go right now with the congregation. Prepare their hearts for, for your word, Lord. Go with me as I present your word. Move me out of the way, but you become great in this place, Lord. Use me as your messenger to, to provide a message to your people. Guide us all. Keep us all, Lord. Forgive us for all for our many sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to talk this morning about the greatness of God's grace. Not the greatness of our grace. I'm talking about God's grace. The greatness of God's grace. As we look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. Now, when we think about the word grace, we generally think of the song Amazing Grace. Or maybe some even think that we're talking about the thing that we say right before the meal. You know, the grace, God is good, God is grace, let us thank you for our daily bread. That common, common grace that we always say right before the meal. But one of the best known definitions of grace is only three words. That's God's unmerited favor. A.W. Tozer defines grace as, God, as grace is a good pleasure of God 
that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserved. We can all agree that grace is something that we all need, and grace is something that we did not deserve. So if we didn't deserve it, then why do we receive it? Or why did we receive it? And the simple answer is simply because God loved us so much that he provided an unmerited grace, an undeserved favor to us when we were too stubborn to realize. We were too stubborn to realize the immense rich amount of grace and mercy that God provides us. And to, we all know just a little bit about grace because God provided us with a great amount, not just a little bit, but a great amount. And someone here who was lost in their past or maybe lost right now and the Lord has saved you, you know a little something about grace. Someone here that has maybe made a decision that they wish they could have taken back. Maybe you've gone down a road that you wish you shouldn't have gone down. Or maybe you went down a path that was not right and you know it was not right. You all know a little bit about grace because the Lord was able to turn us around and forgive us and put us back on the right path. When God has been gracious to us, you don't care who's looking at you. You don't care what the neighbors say. You don't care what others say. All you care about is that relationship that we have with God because God cares about us. He understands us. He put us together. And even when we walk away, God can still have that opportunity to bring us back into his fold. And that's great. God has been so good to us. And you don't need a preacher to sit up here and tell you that God is good because if you look back over your life, and all the many things that God has done for us, we all know a little something about grace. So let's look at three points today. We'll talk about three points today. The first point that I'll give you is called before God, our condition before God. As we look at verses one through three, and one through three states, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, likewise the rest of mankind. Before God, before God, you see, this was our condition before God, our imperfect, rebellious nature before we met God. Can you remember your life before you met God? Me and Brother Ronald was talking this morning just about how our past and where we came from and how God's grace kept us even when we were walking astray. For me, I had nothing to brag about of my life before God. And these verses express the total depravity of our unredeemed humanity. You see, total depravity doesn't mean it's as bad as it could be. No, total depravity means that every aspect of us is corrupted by sin. At our very best, we're still unworthy to present anything to God. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we are in desperate need of salvation. 
and we are totally incapable of saving ourselves. You see, without Jesus, every human being is on a collision course for human ju holy judgment, divine wrath, and eternal condemnation. But God, in his divine intervention, chose to step into our dreadful situation just to save us. Just to save us. That was God's divine intervention. And if you don't get anything else from this message, get this. These seven verses here, Paul is telling us that we were on our way to hell, but God. We was on our way to hell, but God. Not but yourself, not but your neighbor, not but this surrounding, not but your riches, but God saved us. Verse 1 declares the bad news of our trespasses and sins. Now, verse 1 says that we were dead in sin. Verse 2 tells us that we were enslaved in sin. And verse 3 says that we were condemned in sin before God. We were disdained for destruction. We were destined for destruction, guided by our own flesh and our own world and our own desires and the devil. We violated God's holiness. We disobeyed God's command. We rejected God's authority. We disregarded God's will. And we ignored God's warning. However, the bad news of our sin is met by the good news of God's salvation. The good news of God's salvation. But that's where we'll talk about our next point. That's where we'll highlight our next point, in which the next point is, but God. We had our before God and our condition, our sinful condition, but God is our next point. And that is read, or we can see that in verse 4, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, but God. You see, in this verse, we see a fantastic contrasting conjunction. Sister Terry, Tracy, a contrasting conjunction, but God. Let's go back to English class for a quick minute. When you add a contrasting conjunction to a word that the contrasting conjunction now changes the outcome of that sentence, it can make a good sentence bad, and then it can also change a bad sentence and make it good. So when you insert God behind the but, whatever was in front of that sentence will be forever changed on the backside. If I was dead on the front side, then I'm coming back to life on the back side. It was on, if I was going left on the front side, God would turn me back right on that back side. When I was living in sin in verse one, two, and three, when I was living in a dead state, when I had no reverence for God, God placed himself after the butt so that he could change the front side of my situation. God had every right to kill us, but God, God did not only look at our faults or beyond our faults. No, he looked directly at our faults and knew that we needed him to save us from ourselves, to save us from being dead in sin. Church, it's, it's like we have the would have, could have, and should have. I should have received the punishment, and I could have received the punishment, and I probably would have received the punishment, but God, but God. God, who has been well justified in allowing me to stay in my dead situation. Verse 4 says, states, but God, who is rich in mercy and who is great in love. He's rich in mercy and he's great in love. 
Look at those adjectives, rich in mercy and grace in love. Mercy and grace are, are linked, are forever linked together because mercy precedes grace. Mercy is God withholding the punishment and grace is God permitting the unmerited favor. You see, mercy is God pouring out of a glass the punishment that we should have received. And grace is God pouring into that same dirty glass the favor and blessings that we did not deserve. God has to be merciful before he can be gracious. He saved us not because of our works, not because of works, but because of mercy. And God is not just a God of mercy. He's also a God that is rich in mercy. The great the amount of debt, but even richer was the greater amount of mercy that God has provided us. And he did all this, why? Because he loved us. Simply because he loved us. Because Romans 8, 5, 8 tells us that, but God com commended his love towards us, that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the middle of sin, with our hands in the cookie jar, God died for us. God loves us so greatly, church. He loves us greatly. He loves you greatly. You see, there's a story of a little boy that came down to the church and, and, came, and get, came down to the preacher that had opened up the door and he said, I did my part and God did his part. And the, the preacher said, that's, that's your salvation claim? You did your part and God did his part? I don't understand. And he said, can, can you explain it some more? He said, God, I did my part, and God did his part. And he said, okay. okay explain it some more. I, I'm, break it down for me, little, little boy. Bring it, down, bring it down for me. Well, my part was the sinning, and God's part was the saving. That's just the amount of influence or, or input we have in saving ourselves. We did our part, but God did his part. Our part was the sinning, and God's part was the saving. That boy's philosophy theology was spot on. We had no part in saving ourselves. It was God and God alone. His mercy, his love, and his grace all allows us to be here today. So we talked about the before God, our bad situation, we were the wretch undone. And then we talked about but God, that transition, that contrasting conjunction. But the last point that we will see today is by God's grace, as I read verses 5 through 7. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. By God's grace. You see, in these final verses, we will see God's grace explained by Paul. Paul makes it clear in verse 5 that only God can save us. The proof of that is in the timing of when God does it. You see, in verse 5, it starts by saying that when we were dead in sin, this is, God's inter this is when God intervened, when we were dead in sin. You see, sin separates us from God, but it was God's grace that saved us. We didn't deserve it, therefore we cannot boast about it. That's verse 8. Listen, God didn't, didn't save us just because we were the best choice available. 
We wasn't the homecoming queen. We wasn't the homecoming or, or the, the homecoming queen. We wasn't the best choice available, y'all. I'm I'm talking about myself. I could be I could I could beat up myself. I was the leftover, right? I was the one that was looked over, but God said, I want him or I want her. We were the ones that nobody wanted. And by his grace are we are saved. And his grace does three three things. One, he quickened us which means to be made alive again. And that can only be done through God's grace. Two, that he raised us up together. And three, that he made us sit in heavenly places. God did these things for a purpose. And that purpose was revealed or is revealed in verse seven. It was for God to show us off. It was for God to show us off. In the coming ages in verse seven, is talking about the time that has not yet occurred. It's the time that we will get into heaven. God wants to present us as his trophy of grace for eternity to come. I'm talking about eternity, y'all. Not just the 70 years or, or 60 or 80 years that we have on this side. Because what's 70 or 80 years in comparison to eternity? It's like what Pastor Todd mentioned a, a few months ago. It's like a mist. It's just like a, 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 a small amount of time when it compares to eternity. It doesn't matter what you live in or how much money you have and all those things. All that stuff you can't take in the heaven. We're talking about eternity. And we ought to be heavenly driven, not by earthly driven, by the things that we have on this side. You see, it was by God's grace. Let's look at that adjective again. It's God's exceeding riches of grace that allowed it for us to happen. Not just a little bit of grace, but an exceeding amount of grace, exceeding amount of blessing, exceeding amount of favor. So not only that God gives us a rich amount of mercy to withhold the wrath of God and to cover our sin, but it also gives us an exceeding amount of grace to provide us with favor that we do not deserve. Who wouldn't serve a God like this? Who would not want to serve a God like this? A God that is great in the amount of grace to bless us even when we were lost in sin. How many times have God blessed you when you were saved or maybe even when you were unsaved? Only God knows. Only God knows. So verse 7 says, the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And it's not, it's, it's God's love and, the, and what he sees, the kindness is towards us in Christ Jesus. It was God's great love for that in his kindness was given to us through Jesus. Through Jesus, and only Jesus, that, that, that love and that kindness was given amount, a great amount, a full amount of grace. That same Jesus that healed us when we were sick, that's grace. The same Jesus that was able to raise the dead, that's grace. The same Jesus that sustained us and kept us year after year after year, that's grace. The same Jesus that brought us through 2020 and 2021, that brought us through 2022 and gave you the ability to make it here this second Sunday in 2023. That is grace, y'all. It's God's amazing amount of grace. Even to the point where he goes to the cross for our sins. And not only go to the cross and die for our sins, but is raised that third day with all power in his hand. Power to cover us and sustain us and keep us even when we did not want to do right. God still died for us while we were yet in sin, 
Christ died for you. That's a great amount of love, a great amount of faith, of, of faith and a great amount of grace that we did not deserve. Let us pray.